actually take a breath. Like when I was diagnosed, it was everything had to be urgent. Everything, get to the doctors, get it cut out, get the treatment started. Um, and now you understand, I lived with that knowingly for at least three months, but they had to take it out the next day. You know, if I'd had time to breathe and maybe look at some research um, before I had done all that, I, pro I, wouldn't, I know I wouldn't have done interferon had I known. But to be honest, before I was diagnosed, I didn't know anything about natural treatments at all. Like I didn't grow up with that in my life. Um, all I ever knew was the conventional way was the, the way to go. And then when that wasn't an option for me anymore, that's when I started researching and finding out, okay, people have reverse cancer without conventional treatments. How did they do it? And then everything just opened up and that's when I found out about all the natural treatments. Hi everyone and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast where I am your host Nicolette Brichet and this podcast is all about bringing you stories from healing heroes from wellness warriors who have turned to food as medicine and other means to be able to tackle and reverse their chronic degenerative diseases. Those are diagnosed diseases by their medical professionals and medical teams and where their treatment of choice hasn't worked and they've had to look elsewhere, often to metabolic nutrition as their therapy and treatment choice. And that is what I teach through our companies. We have a whole host of companies from organic, plant-based, whole food, unrefined food cafes that serve up the most nutritious and delicious food that helps your body heal. That's the Green Mustache. And we have five locations in Canada with 10 more opening up in the United States once the borders open. Now, we also have Richer Health Consulting, which is where I work with clients in groups or one-on-one -on -one or in corporate settings to also teach that food is medicine and that diseases like diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune disorders, and more, including infertility, mental health issues like panic attack disorders, anxiety, depression, all of these lifestyle and environmental chronic diseases can be reversed without using medicine. And it's okay to take medicine when you don't know that there's other means. You need to do it. But once you get into the literature, you'll find that there's over 200 years of published peer-reviewed evidence-based medical journals that have all been published or articles that have been published showing you how nutrients are important for the body and how when you have enough of them and your nutrient deficiencies are restored, you can in fact reverse your chronic diseases. Now, it's not just about nutrients, it's also about your microbiome in your belly all throughout your body. So it's so important to keep that in mind as well. But again, to repair the microbiome, you do that with food. So it all goes together. And then, of course, there's other elements like detoxification, which we teach, which is really important. That goes hand in hand with restoring your nutrient deficiencies. And then, of course, there's sleep. There's living in community and being loved and giving love and being of service. And then there's moving your body as well. So we like to address all of those things and a few more things. 
Now, we also do this by bringing on medical practitioners of all different kinds, naturopaths, chiropractic doctors, medical doctors, researchers, scientists. We like to bring um, experts onto our show to share this information with you because having the anecdotal stories coincided with the evidence-based published scientific data is equally important to me. I live in these two realms where storytelling is just as important as the published evidence that's out there. Knowing full well that there's always bias in scientific studies, but there is also stories that are told in multiple different ways on the other side as well. So we need to look at both of them in relationship to each other. And from there, we can start to see patterns, we can see how they relate to each other, and we can pull truths from there. We can also understand those patterns and then use the patterns from the stories to dive deeper into the research or use the evidence that comes out of the science to then go and see, does it work in real life as well? Or does it just work in a laboratory? So that's why I like to have both of these um, pieces of evidence on our show. So <clears throat> for today, let's dive into our guest and who she is, because she is a very special guest to me because she's someone who has followed the path that so many people out there have followed. And that is they get diagnosed with cancer. They undergo conventional treatment. So traditional treatment, um, as we know in the Western medical world, which is uh, the drugs, the surgery. And you do that when you don't know that there is another way. And then of course, her journey does what so many other people's journeys do. It takes a left turn and her cancer returns. And so what do you do when your cancer comes back a second time? Do you go down the route of traditional treatment and see if that's going to work again and cross your fingers? Or do you look and see if there's another explanation as to why you got the cancer in the first place, why it came back, and also how you can treat it? And that is exactly what Angie Cooper did. So Angie Cooper is a 54-year-old mother of three children. She is, was born and she currently lives in Perth in Western Australia. She has an eight-month-old puppy, Luna. She loves to run. She loves to go to the gym several times a week. But she is exactly that individual who had cancer, treated it, and then the cancer came back. And then that's when she discovered the Gerson therapy. And she dove into the Gerson therapy and she used that as her treatment of choice the second time round, and she is officially cancer-free for the last seven years and living well, feeling incredibly healthy, and we are about to tell her story today. So listen up, because it is a beautiful, beautiful story. And before we dive into her podcast, I want to also mention that... 22 Million Strong is live and well. That is our campaign where we are going to be educating 22 million people over the next 10 years on how to reverse their chronic degenerative diseases, just like Angie Cooper did. I've already been working with thousands of people from around the world, helping them to reverse their diseases, successfully doing that using food as medicine. But now we have bumped up our goal 
to not just working with thousands, but working with millions of people. But the way we're going to do that is also by running and biking across Canada. So I have been training with Chris Hout, who is a two-time Olympic champion. He is he trained Rich Roll on how to be an endurance athlete. He is training me on how to go from being a mom and a mompreneur and a I would say an endurance entrepreneur that's been sitting behind my desk. And literally I was talking to my husband about it last night. I really have not moved my body in 16 years. A little bit of yoga. I was teaching more yoga than I was doing yoga over the last 16 years. I had gone for a handful of runs, like literally maybe five to eight runs. I had, um, you know, gone on a few hikes with my kids, you know, as they were from birth up all the way into now being 16. Uh, 13 and nine, but I mean, a lot of those hikes are pretty slow. So I constitute it as um, movement, but not even yet hitting the threshold of exercise and nothing like training, like what I'm doing now. So now I'm training 13 hours a week on my bike on and with running. And I just ran my first half marathon, which is super exciting. So eight weeks ago had not run a lick in years and couldn't even run 500 meters. And I ran my first half marathon. It took me three and a half hours, but my coach says that over the next nine months, that's going to improve. And then I went out the next day and I knocked off a 10K, my fastest time ever, the day after I did my half marathon. And then the day after that, I went out there and I biked for three and a half hours, 70 kilometers. So I'm going to be running 20 kilometers a day and biking 80 kilometers a day every day for 75 days across Canada, stopping to work with communities in the evenings. We're going to sit around and have dinners together if COVID lets up and allows us to do so. And then from there, I'm going to listen and learn about the barriers to eating well in these different communities across Canada, predominantly communities where there's a lot of Indigenous members, um, communities of color. We're going to be meeting with remote and rural communities, so places where they don't have access to the foods that Angie is talking about on this podcast. And we want to understand what are all the barriers? Is it lack of knowledge, lack of access to clean, real food? Is it um, lack of access to affordable food, not knowing how to grow food, not knowing how to import and transport food? What are the barriers to not eating well? And then we want to come in over the next 10 years and we want to support these communities in being able to implement the systems that will provide the members of these communities access to clean, real food so that they can work at reversing their own chronic diseases. So that is what the 22 Million Strong campaign is all about, as well as helping 22 million people across North America reverse their chronic diseases using food as medicine. So let's dive into this beautiful podcast with Angie Cooper. I hope you love it. You know what to do. Share this podcast with your friends. See you at the end. Bye for now. Okay, welcome to the Eat Real to Hill podcast. Angela, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's so, great to be here. 
No, it's really wonderful to have you there and have you here and um, you there, me here. We're yeah. in two <laughs> different time zones. You're in Australia. I'm recording from beautiful Pemberton, British Columbia. Um, so Angela, I love that you responded to a call out that we had on the Gerson uh, Facebook site. It's a support group site, just asking if people yeah. had healing hero stories that yeah. and had done the Gerson therapy that they could... Um, you know, come onto our show and share their story. And you are one of those people. Yes. You have done the Gerson therapy because you were diagnosed with cancer and that's 10, is that seven years ago now or 10? Uh, it was in 2012, I was diagnosed. So yeah, eight years eight since years. I was diagnosed. Yeah. And what was that like for you when you were just prior to being diagnosed? Did you have a lot of symptoms yep. or you know, was it a mole that you found? What's your story behind that? Um, I actually wasn't sick at all. I, I thought I was reasonably healthy. Um, I exercised a lot, went to the gym, went running. I went to a dermatologist in the March just to have my annual skin check because I had had a couple of basal cells um, removed in the past. And I had a very small... Um, Mark, it wasn't a mole. It was more like just a little, maybe a little pimple or something on the top right hand uh, of my arm. And I queried it with the dermatologist and he looked and said, oh, I don't think it's anything to worry about. And he picked up on a basal cell, which he removed um, at the next appointment. And again, looked at the little sore that I had, but said, I don't think it's anything to worry about. It will check it next year. And as a month went past, it started looking a little bit pink and I'm like mm. so about two months after I'd seen him I went oh it's not getting any better but we had just been to Mexico on a cruise and I thought oh well, the dermatologist has said it's nothing so I trusted him and sort of as you would do I got a little pin and pricked it and it bled and it seemed to shrink worst thing I could have done didn't know that okay um, so let's stop for one second stop for one second because um how small was this little tiny like did it look more like a wound or a pimple like you no, described it? no even smaller than a pimple like minute and the reason it was when I finally was diagnosed was because I found it was melanoma called nodular melanoma and with nodular melanoma it doesn't spread on the skin it actually grows deep oh, so all the while it was growing deep not spreading so even though it had got a little bit bigger Honestly, it was really tiny, maybe a mil, not, not even that wow. big. It really was just like the tiny little mark. Um, I went to my local doctor and because the dermatologist had said nothing, I said, can you just remove it? Because it looks pretty ugly. And he said, yeah, no worries. Come back in 10 days and we'll do a biopsy anyway. So um, he did the punch biopsy and sent it away. And within two days, he rang me at home and he just said, it's doctor I've got some bad news he said you've got cancer it's really really bad you've got to come and see me and that's how I found out by just answering the phone okay so I went to see yeah so okay so let's go back a little bit because we all have marks on our body and we yep. all have little pimples on our body and we all have yep. moles on our body. Yep. And I know in Australia, I think there's definitely yep. a lot more care and attention paid to skin yep. cancer given the sun. I mean, Australia was the only yep. place in the world that I was ever burnt and I have dark skin. Yep. And was, I remember I was yep. like, wow, this is what people, you know, who are Caucasian have to go through every summer yep. when the sun comes out. But yep. 
um, so then when you had this little tiny mark, like, were you just yeah. used to scanning your body? Is that just something you did or like, was um, this one, did it, how did it seem to that be honest, much not different? really. I was pretty blase to the whole skin checking. It was just that I had fair skin and I had had a basal, basal cells removed in the past that the, my local GP had picked up that I decided to take this further and um, go to the dermatologist. Um, one of my very best friends, she actually had passed away from melanoma three years before I diagnosed. Mm. Um, she had ocular melanoma though. Um, but I still, even after the dermatologist said no and it wasn't getting any better, it still took me three months to take myself to the doctor, whether it was because I didn't want to believe it was something worse or, you know, you also put your faith in the doctors and what they tell you. Exactly. And and yeah, for sure. When that first um, dermatologist said, oh, it's nothing, which doctors yeah. do all the time. Don't worry about it. It's yeah. fine. It's all in yeah. your head. He could have seen 10 other people prior to you that literally, or she, um, that literally didn't have anything wrong with them, but they were concerned yeah. or they'd seen something yeah. on the internet. So then yeah. the doctor's programmed to, you know, say, well, it's probably nothing versus yeah. if he had seen 10 other people prior to you that had all diagnosed yeah. skin conditions yeah. then he probably would have yeah. said, let's check this yeah. out. So we yeah. have to remember the doctors are humans too, right? Yeah, that's um, right. So, but, so what I'm trying to get at is how is this one like so different? Like, was it flaking? Was it lumpy? Like how was this particular, uh, was it, a, it wasn't a mole. So it was more of a... It just, no, it just wasn't going away. It really was just like a little pimple, but not infected. It's probably more like a little scab maybe that looked, oh, okay. you know, like if, if you'd pricked the skin and it had like a little scab on the top of it, um, probably more like that. Okay. So something that, okay. So it was different than everything else and wasn't, yeah. it looked like it wasn't healing and going away, which it yeah. normally would yeah. have. So yeah. then, um, so when they did that, when you poked it with the needle and you yeah. said that's that's not a good idea. That wasn't a good yeah. idea to have done that. Why is that? Just explain that to our listeners. I, did, I didn't realize that at the time. I was thinking, oh, I was thinking maybe there's an infection in there and, you know, maybe it had some yucky stuff. So if I um, pricked it and squeezed it out, maybe it would heal. Um, now knowing what I've no I know, pricking that um, could have spread the cancer cells quicker. Okay. So okay. I didn't, obviously I didn't know at the time it was cancer. Had I known, I probably wouldn't have done that. Yeah, of course. And then what was that like for you? Cause you're a mom of three kids and you get a phone call and they give you the diagnosis pretty much on the phone. Yeah. On the phone. He yeah. just said, I'm sorry. You've got to come and see me. He goes, it's really, really bad. You've got cancer. It's not a good, um, it's not going to be a good outcome basically and my youngest two kids were at school they were only um, 13 and 15 at the time and my eldest son was 17 and he was at home so I just raced upstairs went in my wardrobe um, rang my husband who wasn't answering the phone and said you've got to meet me at the doctor's I've got cancer and that was he didn't even know anything about it you know so right. it was you get up in the morning and by the afternoon you're at the doctor's surgery being told that um you've got stage three cancer or stage two but possibly stage three that it was 3.5 millimeters deep and uh what that what it normally means is if the cancer is two millimeters deep it can um that's when it finds its own blood supply and then it can spread through the body. So had it been one millimil, 
a one millimeter, it probably would have been not quite so bad, but it was already 3.5 millimeters, which means it had been growing deep for some time. Wow. So that must have been, were you, were you in, like, what happens in this moment, right? When you get a phone call like that, because there, I mean, one oh, or two people did was shock. Okay. That's what oh, I would assume it would yeah. be shock. Like yeah. you're just yeah. kind of yeah. taking the motions as they come, yeah. but yeah. It was and, like, I wasn't really in my body, you know, it was yeah. like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. And especially after losing a friend three years earlier, I mean, yeah. that's still yeah. quite raw. So yeah. then when you went to the doctors, what did they, what was their prognosis for you? What did they say? Um, not good. He said straight there, my husband and I were there. He said, it's really not good. This is really, really bad news. He says it's very deep um, and we'll have to send you to a surgeon to have that removed. Um, so then that was the next process. I, that I told my kids to pretty much straight away that night um, the next day I was planning on writing letters to them. I'd said to my husband, I've got to write letters. Yeah. You just, I didn't get out of bed. I don't think really for about three days until my husband said, you got to get up. The kids are really worrying, but I physically yeah. couldn't. My legs were like jelly. Um, it even brings emotion back now. All these for me too, years yeah. later, you know, I'd wake up during the middle of the night. And the first thing you would, would be thinking of is the kids. That was really what you thought about the most was your kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first thing I can't even imagine. You yeah. know, I have three kids as well. You have three kids and, you know, yeah. um, you know, and I've been working with clients, you know, teaching the Gerson therapy for 12 years and it's still, yeah. when somebody comes to yeah. me and they tell me about their children, it's the hardest. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so, wow. So then after three days though, you obviously got out of bed. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was getting up and down, but I pretty much was was walking like a zombie. Mm -hmm. um, we made the doctor had made the appointment with a surgeon, so I had an appointment to go and see him. So what they said they would do would be remove the tumor that was there and do a sentinel node biopsy um, while I was under, and they would put a needle in and the dye would go to the main node so that it didn't um, they didn't take out all the nodes in my arm. It was just to see if it had spread. And it had so straight up, I was diagnosed as stage three. Okay. Um, I, I had a series of appointments with different doctors and they all recommended not taking out the rest of the lymph nodes because it's already spread and that's getting rid of the immune system. They didn't tell me what to do, but they said if it was them and if it was their wives, they wouldn't do the surgery. So I chose not to do that. So which means you didn't have any of the mass removed? Uh, I, I had the mass removed yeah. and one lymph node. I didn't, but not the rest of, of the lymph but nodes. But not, not of the rest of the lymph nodes, yes. Okay. So they could have all been positive as well, yeah. but it had already spread. So they said they, if it was them, they would leave it because that's your immune system and you can end up with lymphedema and all different mm. sorts of things. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I went with what the doctors recommended with that. Okay. And then, so then what happens after this? Because they've already told you this is not good, but then surgery yep. is an option. And then what was the, was there further treatment after that? Yeah, I, he, the surgeon didn't offer any treatment. No one ever recommended going to see an oncologist because there wasn't really any treatment for melanoma. 
Um, about a month after I'd had the tumour removed, I noticed these little red dots on my stomach and you kind of became paranoid about every little thing you saw. And I made an appointment with my um, surgeon and went to see him and he got absolutely irate at me. He said, they're nothing, you're wasting my time. I've got other patients. I have not had a good experience with surgeons, oncologists, anyone. And he said, you haven't been to see an oncologist yet. I recommend you see this particular doctor. Uh, so he made an appointment and I went to see him the following Friday. Um, and I did actually do one month of interferon treatment. Um, he said it would only increase my survival rate by um, 5%. Uh, was it 5% sometime? But he really, oh, he said it would increase my survival rate from 70 to 75%. Um, there would be no side effects with the treatment. It's basically to boost the immune system. So, again, I thought, okay, I trust this guy. It's not going to hurt me. What it involved was going to the doctors um, or to the hospital uh, every weekday for four weeks to have the IV infusion done. Wow. Okay. So you first start off with having the, the uh, mass removed and yep. then um, they suggest no more, you know, don't pull out the existing yep. lymph nodes. Then yep. you get these spots. Do you know what the spots on your belly were? No, he just said, I, I see them now. Yeah, it was nothing. <laughs> it was nothing, but still, just, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could have been anything. They could have been there for a long time and maybe yeah. only just noticed now yeah. or exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be so, so, so hard to be yeah. able to just walk through life and not see everything as exactly. cancer. Right? Yes. I even struggle with it with myself. If I have a client and you know she has uterine cancer, all of a sudden I swear my uterus hurts for like the next three yeah. weeks. And um, our minds are very, very, very powerful. Um, yes. at, you know, the way in, in affecting the way we perceive things for sure. But I mean, at the same time, it's normal. And I've had clients who oncologists have said that, like, you're wasting my time, get out of here. You're not due okay. for another scan for a year. Um, it's only been six months and, and they actually dismiss, you know, these, their patients who eventually become my clients, but, you know, often they'll send them back and I'm like, no, if you're truly concerned and if it's causing you, you know, stress, you need to go and get the confirmation because often a lot of times we can be right as well. And it That's could correct, be something yes. and doctors, the third leading cause of death in North America. And I know this is similar stats applied to Australia and Europe that the third leading cause of death is medical error. And in yeah. one particular client's case or one particular case of a woman we interviewed for our podcast, she, they said her brain tumor would not grow back and yeah. it grew back within less than six months and they were not going to see her because they said, no, you're not scheduled for another year. And yeah. if she had actually gone home and not demanded the MRI, she wouldn't, would not be alive. So, you yeah. know, don't ever, you know, for listeners out there who are listening to Angela's story, um, you know, just because the red dots on her stomach were nothing also, you know, you, you have to weigh everything go with out your gut. and go with your gut. Yeah. 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 And as our copywriter says, go with your hut, which is your gut and your heart, which I really love. That's yeah. never heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. Really sweet. So, so you do the interference, do you do it for the full four weeks and were there side um, effects? Did it? What are, oh, definitely side effects. What the treatment was supposed to be was one month, three months off 
again, and you would do that four different um, interferon blocks. Uh, after the first week of doing the interferon, I was so sick. I was losing my hair. I was vomiting blood. I couldn't eat. I was suffering from depression, severe depression, which now looking back, look through the information on what interferon does, it, people have known to um, commit suicide after having interferon. It got to the Sunday and I was due to go back on the Monday for my second week of treatment and I drove myself in there and I got into his office and just about collapsed and he did my blood work and said, oh, that's giving your liver a tickle. And I, I was feeling like I was dying and I came home and um, he said, we'll have a week off the treatment. So I went home and my husband had to ring the hospital that day and take me to emergency and they had to admit me and put me on a drip for two days. So I was actually in hospital for three days. Oh my goodness. Um, and he said there are no side effects. Yes. That is, I mean, I just had to do a little quick Google search here. Um, you know, normally I'd go into looking at the actual drug and then looking at the big sheet of paper, like the big newspaper sheet that you open up, you know, and I mean, there's not a single drug on the planet that is a synthetic man-made human-made drug that doesn't have side effects. So just to have, that's wrong. Yeah. That's nobody should ever tell anybody that like that is, yeah, there's, you know, there's so much disregard sometimes when it comes to that and and that is dangerous though, too, especially with a lot of you know, antidepressants as well, because, you know, the side effects are substantial suicide being one of them. Yes, definitely. Um, and aggression and hurting others, another one. So yeah, yeah. So, I'd never felt anything like it before in my life. The depression was just, um, yeah, it was taking over. Like hmm. I would just cry and scream and going, what, you know, what is going on? Cause it had obviously really changed the chemical balances in my brain um, for me to feel that way so I did one week I had the week off and then I went back to see him the following Monday and he said well we'll complete the treatment because if you don't it's been a waste and you know it's not going to do anything he says but we'll do it at half doses and I actually questioned him and said why half doses why didn't we do that you know what what's the point if we're not going to do the full dose surely i'm not going to get the benefit from from it and he said oh it doesn't make any difference you'll still get the same benefit and it's like well why would you put me on a higher strength if then you're telling me that the half strength is going to do the same thing so i did complete the three um treatments um which finished the week before christmas so um yeah and I did have side effects. I didn't get to the point where I was after the first week having the half doses, but I definitely felt the side effects and it took quite some weeks to actually feel like get my appetite back and um, feel okay again. Wow. And yeah, anytime somebody I think is blasé with, you know, response like that too, you really have to question it because, you know, oh, I could give you the full dose or the half dose. It won't make a difference when... A lot of these drugs are, you know, literally designed for yeah. body weight down to the ounce, yeah. you know, yeah. also taking into consideration, you know, that you were athletic and you ran and you worked out. And so yeah. you're a very different individual than let's say somebody who comes in, who's, you know, maybe 80 pounds overweight, smokes, drinks, yeah. you know, doesn't exercise, you know, yeah. and so to, 
yeah, it's the similar, well, not a similar thing, but my daughter had broken her radial head off of her arm and the doctor was like, oh, how much does she weigh? And I said, and it was as she was going into surgery. And I said, well, I don't know. I figured you'd weigh her like now today so that you have the right weight. Yeah. And he's like, oh no, I'm going to guess she's about X number of pounds or kilos. And then he gave her the ketamine for this to go in and do the surgery. And I was like, I'm pretty sure she's, that's too much. Like she's pretty small little girl. And I know she doesn't weigh that much. She's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, it sure did matter because she wouldn't come, she wouldn't wake up after. Oh, and that's come scary. Up. Exactly. And so it just shows that, yes, your weight matters, your lifestyle matters, uh, the state of your liver matters, you know, all of these things. And so if a doctor, you know, this is just for the listeners, if a doctor is going to be blase about it, you know, and it's hard in the moment because, you know, you're not going to sit there and say, well, I want somebody else to come in or you might want to do that. And maybe that could happen. But sometimes you're just in the motion of going through it and you're like, okay, what's happening? I don't know what's happening. And then before you know it, you've taken too much of the drug or in my daughter's case, she wasn't waking up. And the nurses were really concerned because they had to wait with us and she didn't wake up for an hour and a half longer than what would normally happen. So this stuff really does happen to people. Like this is not just your story. It's my story. And if you know, it's our two stories, then it's also many other people's stories as well. Exactly. So, yeah, I think, um, I think the doctors are very intimidating too. Like you walk in there and the way they speak to you, not all doctors, this is just from my experience, you know, they know they deal with it all the time. So just listen and that's how it's done. Yeah. And you know, just like anything in a relationship, it's a relationship, right? So you can use relationship tools. You know, if people are listening to this now that I always say we, we're the ones, our taxes are paying for these doctors, our extended medical is paying for these doctors. So technically they work for us. So I often say, you know, in, in certain countries in the world, you can technically fire your doctor in other countries where the wait list to get into somebody is long. You can't do that, but you can use tools that you would use in any relationship, which is to call them on it, to be like, hey, I feel really intimidated right now. I don't feel like you're doing a good job with the way you're speaking to me. Can you change that? And it's communication skills, but you can start practicing at home with your partner. And then if you ever find yourself in a medical situation, then you can just whip out a line like that. And I've had to do that. I've learned to do that with doctors um, because yeah, unfortunately not everybody has good bedside manner. And in your case, didn't look like yes. that. So then after the no. interferon, after the interferon, you went through the treatments and then what did the doctors say after that? What was your next um, they, step? They wanted to do PET scans every three months. So they did a PET scan straight after I'd finished treatment, which um, didn't show a tumor. And then they would want to do another PET scan before I started my next treatment three months later. So I finished that the week of Christmas then in the January, I had lost a lot of weight. I'm five foot seven, 170 centimetres, and I weighed um, 56, 57 kilos. I'm yeah, not that's sure small. that's about 110, 115 pounds. I dropped to 46 kilos. Oh, my God. So I was, I was like, really malnourished. Um, and because I was so skinny, that was, I think, problem from the cancer, but also from the treatment as well, yeah. I felt a lump in my hip. And I'm like, hmm. So I actually, like, I kept feeling it. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. I've just had a scan, so that'll be fine. So I just went to my um, 
local doctor who was actually the one that did the biopsy thought I can trust this guy I'll go and see him he felt it said no it just feels like a bit of gristle it's fine so again trusting the doctor and then when I went back for my appointment with the oncologist he said he felt it I mentioned it to him and he said oh no we definitely have to get that looked at go for an ultrasound um, we'll see what that shows up and if we need to we'll do a biopsy and come back so I went and had the ultrasound done and they did the ultrasound and the girl doing it said, no, it looks fine. She says, I've had um, cancer patients come in and when I scan them, it just like it glows red. So she said, I'm sure you're fine. So I went, okay. And I cancelled my oncologist because I thought they've told me that it's fine. About two weeks later, the receptionist rings me, where the hell have you been, doctor? I won't say his name, just out of respect for, you know. <laughs> I figure that they know no better, so we won't bring him into it. But yeah. he is so angry at you. You've wasted his time and his money. You didn't show up for your appointment. I said, I cancelled the appointment. The, I was told that the ultrasound was okay. No, you need to get back and get that biopsy done. So I went and had a biopsy and made an appointment to see him. And my husband came with me for the results of that. And I sat across from the desk with him and he just said I'm so sorry he said it is cancer you're stage four and <clears throat> excuse me there's nothing more we can do for you wow. and I said to him at that appointment I'm going to do the Gerson therapy because I had looked into that and he said he literally went I don't want to know anything and he said that I want to see you in three months for another scan um, I had surgery, sorry, to remove it. So he sent me back to the surgeon. Excuse me for a sec. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Apple carrot juice. Nice. I was just going to ask uh, that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I went back to, he got the referral and I went and saw the surgeon and I had the surgery to remove the second tumour. And the surgeon also said to me, he goes, you know what this means, don't you? He says, it's now stage four. And I said, yeah, like, I knew that. Um, they really didn't offer me anything positive. So that was the last, that's actually the last time I've ever seen the oncologist. I applied to the Gerson Institute after that appointment. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, was accepted and flew over there th four weeks later. Wow. Okay. So we're going to get into the you doing the Gerson therapy for sure, because that's the story everybody definitely wants to know about the details of that. But I just want to go back yeah. a little bit. So yeah. when you were researching, how did you yeah, hear about sure. the Gerson therapy? How did you come across it? Um, prayed a lot. Oh. <laughs> um, just for answers. Um, I would just ask in different groups and... I would be Googling just stories on the internet, similar to mine, I guess. I would Google stage four um, melanoma patient survives and I'd find a story and someone would mention Gerson therapy. And then someone else I was talking to mentioned Gerson therapy and I was like, oh, okay, I've never heard of this. So then I just, it was really just Googling probably. No one yeah. in particular I knew had been there. Um, and then I went to see my counsellor who I was seeing at our cancer support group at the time and I was telling him about it and he said, Ange, I did Gerson therapy 35 years ago and he was stage four. So wow. I've, I just started to find people that knew about it and had actually done it. 
Wow. That is amazing. Yeah. They often say when you hear about things in threes, then you should definitely wake yeah. up and yeah, um, yeah. yeah, smell the coffee, anima coffee there. Um, yeah. So when, so this is, I love this because a lot of people will often come to me and they're like, oh yeah, 20 years ago, somebody said I should go see a chiropractor. Yeah. 15 years ago, somebody told me to go see a chiropractor. Oh yeah, my doctor told me to see a chiropractor, but then they don't go to the chiropractor and then in a workshop or a treat with yeah. us, you know, I, you could just structurally yeah. see something's off and I'll be like, have you ever yeah. thought about seeing a chiropractor? And they're like, everyone keeps telling me, but I'm like, when are you going to listen? So I just love my, that. My son's a chiropractor. <laughs> oh, is he? Oh, that's awesome. I, oh, I, my sister-in-law's a chiropractor and we have one of the most amazing, she unfortunately lives yeah. on the other side of the country, yeah. but um, I couldn't oh. imagine not having chiropractic care is in our yeah. family. It's helped us in yeah. so many beautiful ways. Um but it's, I love when like your stories like yours, where, you know, that you just, you, you were just like listening to all the little birds yeah. chirping out there and you heard yeah. the Gerson, 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 and then went for it. Um, because of course you could have come across, you know, there's the Budwick diet. You could have come across, yes. I'm sure you came across so many yeah, other therapies. <laughs> so what was it about the Gerson therapy that intrigued you besides hearing three people, three different people talk about it? I guess I just went with my heart. Yeah. <laughs> my gut feeling was just, I heard that and I read about it and I just knew I'd get better. I just, I knew that was the right treatment for me. Yeah. And when the day I applied and I got the, um, after I had applied to the Institute and had got the reply, or they actually rang me at like five o'clock in the morning because of the time difference oh. and said I was in, I actually remember coming down and crying to my husband saying, I'm going to get better now. So oh, I just, wow. and I went into it 150%. Yeah, it's how you have like to no go into half, it. Half, no, no half, half. I'm like, okay, I'm going there to get better. Yeah. And you have to do that at 100%. Yeah. Um, there's so much literature studies that have been published to show that your attitude going into a treatment is just as important as the treatment yeah. itself. So yeah, no, yeah. I love that you brought that up. And so what did your family think about this? Here you are, you have teenage kids and you have your husband and you're about to hop on a plane and go to Mexico from Australia. Is that where you went to Mexico or Hungary? Yeah, yeah. No, I actually went to Mexico. You did? Went to the, um, yeah, with Dr. Cervantes down there, who was amazing nice. at the Health Institute for Tijuana. Yeah, no, the team down there is really amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. And so what did your family think about this or were they just... No one, no one said anything because I was, I was told there was nothing they could do. Right. So I'm sure they probably didn't think it was going to work, you know, because you hear of these stories where people go to Mexico and I have to be honest, before I got sick and had researched it, I used to think I would have thought the same thing. Oh, totally. people go to Mexico. That That's just a scam. Yeah. But no one ever queried it. Um, everyone just backed me. I bought all the videos like from the Gerson store, had them sent over, um, gave them to the family to watch, got them to watch Food Matters with me, which also mentions okay. about Gerson therapy with Charlotte um, Gerson. And yeah, I mean, there was nothing they could really say. Yeah. And how was your family throughout all of this? I mean, they must have been scared or, you know, what was that like for to have three teenage kids? Or have you ever asked them oh, about that? Um. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, 
not too much. I mean, I'd always check in with them and just say, you're going okay. But I was such a mess. It was really hard. So I'm sure there was a lot of behind the scenes crying and, you know, talking yeah. amongst each other. Um, my three children are so close. So I'm blessed mm. with that. And I think it probably brought them closer. My yeah. eldest son, he had just finished year 12. So he was going to uni. My eldest daughter was in um, year 12. So she was actually in her final year of high school doing mid-year exams. She had to do her mid-year exams when I was in Mexico. So that was really hard. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I look at my, my youngest son. He was only 13 at the time. So I'm sure there was a lot of, a lot of stuff they didn't say. Yeah, I'm sure. I know it's especially for the ones that are just going through puberty there. They tend to stop talking as much as they used to and they mm. go within as they're going through those changes. Yeah. So yeah, no, it is, it is tough to go through something like this, whether it's a divorce or, you know, a parent that's sick or anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you have any tips for, for moms or dads or parents if, you know, to what, what would you say is some advice you could give them if they're diagnosed with something and just how to communicate with their kids just from what you've learned? Um, I just told them all the time how much I love them because I don't mm -hmm. think that can ever be said too much. Um, I would just ask them if they're okay and they were amazing. They, they all seem to just get on with life, which, I mean, it would have been hard for them, but I think kids are also pretty resilient as mm -hmm. well. And we come from very close family with my parents. I've got three sisters. They're very close mm -hmm. with all their cousins. So I think that kind of, or, you know, kind of really helped um when i went to mexico we didn't have what we've got now with zoom yeah. and everything but you know it was emailing then and um just keeping in contact with them you know i did everything i could to keep life as normal as possible so i would still take them to school i would just work my juicing around it um i would go to their sports on the weekends again i would just make a juice to take try and just keep life as normal as possible Right. That's amazing. That's good pieces of advice for sure. Because I think sometimes too, yeah, I mean, parents don't know what to do in those situations. And I've heard parents do everything like, we're not going to tell them at all. And, you know, and that can come as a shock later on, depending on how things go. I mean, everybody has a different plan for how to do it, but I suppose it too, it's also doing what works for you. Cause at the end of the day, it was you going through this and exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so needing to take care of yourself. So here you are, you get on a plane. Did you go by yourself or did, did you have a no, caregiver? Um, my mum came with me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My husband stayed home with the kids. Um, my mum came with me, which was a great experience. We we're a lot closer. And yeah, we flew on the 10th of May, 2013 and started at clinic the 11th of May. So we, we actually stayed three weeks. A lot of people only stayed two, but you know, it took us nearly 30 hours to get there with all the transit because we have to fly from Perth to Sydney so you've got that across the country then to LA then down to San Diego then down to the clinic so it was a long trip yeah um but to be honest we had it didn't feel like I was sick when we were there at all you know apart from the fact I was so malnourished and and that I actually had a lot of energy so if anyone had seen me they wouldn't know I was sick at all right you Which know, is often so, the case, though, when it comes to cancer, because people often look at people, individuals who've gone through cancer treatment, 
And when they've lost their hair and their skin is gray and they're maybe in palliative care and dying. And that seems to be the image that people have of cancer, where in fact, it's only once you've gone through the treatment and it's at the very, very, very end stage of dying that, you know, that's what your body, what can happen to your body. But for the most part, it's humans that are just walking around every day, looking beautiful and fantastic and hiking up mountains and, yeah, they have color in their skin. Yeah, you were about yeah. 46 kilos is about 101 pounds. Yeah. So yeah. you just looked very skinny, like very thin. Oh, I'll look at photos now of when I was at the clinic and my hair was just like straw, like it was mm. falling out and it was all, um, it just looked dead and my face is all completely sucked in. And, you know, people tell me now I'm too skinny, but I ignore them. But, right. you know, back then, back then I really was. Yeah. Wow. And so then when you arrived there, I mean, I've been to the clinic in Mexico. Um, You know, we crossed the border. We drove down with Charlotte Gerson. Um, She trained me actually in the Gerson therapy. Fantastic. Yeah, which was really such a blessing and an honor. And, you know, we did a tour while she was there speaking. And and it is, I mean, the clinic is in the middle of Tijuana. So you are, you know, the way it was for us is that the taxi pulls up and he's like, get out and you know the door opens and then we go in um but he doesn't want to hang around on the streets so the car doors open very much but like did you feel safe when you went down there how was it yeah i felt perfectly safe um we could go for walks during the day we'd walk down to the beach you know we were allowed out for short walks um i wasn't really allowed out because he said i was too skinny and he didn't want me burning off any energy but they had a security guy at the front gate and it's pretty secure in there. So no, once I was in, I felt perfectly fine. Yeah. And then when you were in there, I mean, I just love how it operates with everybody working in the kitchen and were there other guests there at the time when you were there? Yeah. um, There was over the time I was there, because I was there three weeks, there was probably 12 patients all in total. It was like we were on holiday. It really just felt like we were on a health camp, you know, we'd all have breakfast together, lunch, dinner. Some nights there wouldn't be someone there because they'd be having a healing reaction or they'd done mm-hmm. the castor oil in the morning and were staying close to their um, room. But no, it was amazing. The doctors and nurses, the, as you said, the kitchen staff, the girls that bought the juices every day, the cleaners, everyone was amazing, like could not fault. It was one of the best experiences I think I've ever had in my life. Funnily enough, it was three weeks at That's the clinic. And my, and my mum said to me, she's, she'd never experienced anything like that. Wow. And so, yeah. Yeah, because your mum's there with her daughter, which must have been, you know, yeah. just going through the whole exp- the that yeah. experience in general. I mean, must yeah. be heartbreaking for her and scary as well. Um, but then being in Mexico and then being exposed to different way of eating, I I assume like were you eating this way before or was this no. fundamentally different? Uh, um, I was never vegan. I know um, Gerson therapy isn't necessarily vegan based, but I have actually chosen to follow that now in my life. But yes, I was definitely, I would definitely eat meat, chicken, you know, sausages, eggs, you name it, I would have it. Um, Didn't mind the drink at night time, you know, would have my red wine and my nibblies and things like that. So once I was diagnosed, it just stopped. I just went, can't do this anymore. So I had pretty strong willpower to just go, 
do I want to have that or do I want to get better? And for me, it was, I wanted to get better. Right. Yeah. A lot of people don't have, you know, we call it willpower, but I tend to find that it's lots of different reasons why people can or cannot uh, give up things or follow a certain protocol or therapy. And, you know, but some people will tell me they're, you know, I can't give up wine. I love wine. It's, you know, you know, I'm a connoisseur of wine or whatever it is. They all have a reason as to why they can't give up something or can't give up, you know, I I give up coffee, but then I'll go back and have a coffee. And then that starts the whole process again. And, you know, you know, but I'm, my reason is that I'm addicted to it. It's a drug and it's created receptor sites in my brain. So I have the scientific, you know, reason where somebody else will say, no, I love the smell and the flavor. So it's, you know, I don't always want to say it's people's willpower, but it does take discipline, but it more important. I think what you said is you said, I want to get better. So it was not a problem to give that up. And I think that's ultimately we have to have a goal like that. And that intention is to get better and that other stuff is not serving us. So that's why we give it up as opposed to, yeah, all the other excuses we make for ourselves. So did you enjoy the food when you were down there? I actually really enjoyed the food. It was nice being served every meal too, not having to um, prepare it yourself. And the 13 juices were easy for me. I actually ate so much food. When I got there and Dr. Cervantes saw how skinny I was, he goes, man, you are really malnourished. We've got to get some food into you. So he'd come in the kitchen and put an extra potato on my plate. And I was eating five meals. I would have breakfast, lunch and dinner at 11 o'clock. And three o'clock in the afternoon, they would bring me an extra sandwich made with the special Gerson bread. So I'd have two extra sandwiches a day. And at nine o'clock at night, they'd bring me another bowl of oats to eat. Plus I was having 13 juices a day. So I, yeah, (laughs) I put the weight back on. You did. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about it though, it's not the same type of weight as if you were eating, you know, 6,000 calories a day. Yes you know, steak and fries and all of those things. It's very, very different. It's a healthy weight that comes back on. And um, so when you, okay, so this is exciting. I love to chat with people about their experience when they, you know, started doing Gerson and going through Gerson, just to give our listeners an idea of how they can approach it as well, right? Because some people will say things like, I don't like the food. And I mean, there's no salt in the food as well, other than the natural occurring salt in the vegetables and and fruits. But was that a problem for you at all? It actually wasn't. Again, I think it was just, I wanted to get better. And if this is how I was going to do it, yeah. That's what I was going to do. My husband said to me, if Dr. Cervantes told you to go outside and eat snails because that was going to get you better, I probably would have done it. So right. um, I think having my children, like I loved my life and I wasn't ready to say goodbye to it. So having the children was a huge drive for me. I mean, that that's really the reason you, mm-hmm. no one wants to move on to the next life and we all want to stay around for as long as we possibly can but I think when you've got your kids you're not only just thinking of yourself you're thinking of leaving them without a mother exactly exactly yeah no and I, I I know for myself I mean that's you know it would be no questions, no ifs, ands about, you know, buts about it if I was diagnosed tomorrow I'd be on a plane as well yeah and But I mean, I can say that because I have 13 years of knowing about the Gerson therapy, studying the Gerson therapy, teaching the Gerson therapy. So it's always so fascinating for somebody who's never really heard about it 
does a little bit of research and then hops on a plane and goes. But yes. I mean, ultimately when somebody tells you, especially like there's not a whole lot we can do for you, uh, it, it is important to choose something. You know, you might want to dive deep into prayer. You might want to dive deep into some other, whatever that they're eating snails, or if you, if the Gerson therapy sounds right to you, but you dive into it wholeheartedly, 100%. Yeah. And when the doctor says jump, you jump and you do it as opposed to a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, I like that aspect of the therapy, but I like that aspect of this other therapy. So then they try and dabble in all of these different things. And a lot of them can contra, um, contradict themselves. And then make yes. whatever it is you're doing not effective as well. So it is really important what you did. That is one thing. Yeah, that is one thing. When um, we were, I was really lucky because Charlotte. I was there for the three weeks, and Charlotte came twice mm-hmm. because she was coming every fortnight at that stage. So I got some lovely photos with her and got to hear her talk. And that was one thing she has always said as well: is if you're going to stick a tra- uh, pick a treatment to follow, follow that treatment. Yeah. Like whatever it may be, whether it's Hoxie or whether it's, but you know, whatever treatment yeah. you choose, especially with Gerson therapy, it's science-based. Um, everything you eat or don't eat is for a reason. Yeah. Stick to that therapy. Yeah, exactly. And I was just saying earlier how I did the interview with Catherine Alexander, who's a Gerson yeah. practitioner as well. And, you know, she taught all the, you know, the, she wrote the manuals for the Gerson practitioners as well and taught them the first module and, um, and yeah, we talked about that specifically, how important it is to um, know that there's a reason. So for example, like on the Gerson therapy, you don't eat um, berries or nuts or seeds. And there's a reason for that, especially in the early, you know, first four or five weeks of doing the therapy, but even throughout, especially for when people have cancer and so many people fight me on this. They're like, but berries are good for you. And yeah, really good for you when you're healthy, but the moment your body is taxed and your liver's taxed and your kidneys are taxed, then those phenols are actually toxic in the body, even Mm -hmm. though, you know, a healthy body can process them out. So um, I think it's definitely the most important piece of advice that Charlotte Gerson has ever given. And she's given yes. a lot of advice. She so, has. Yeah. Yeah. So then I love that you went with your mom as well and that she enjoyed the experience. And so she was eating the food and staying there as well. Yes. Yeah. So that yeah, we, um, everyone has to take a carer with them. Uh, they won't actually accept you at the clinic without a carer. So yeah, but I mean, obviously, it was a lot nicer having someone there with you that was there to support you and fly there with you and fly back with you. So yeah, and, and it's your... all completely new, you know, exactly. to them as well. Coffee enemas. It's like telling your parents you're going to be doing coffee enemas or your family, and it's like, what the? I yeah. never, I'd never heard of them. I would have thought I was crazy as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's um. Yeah, definitely. Your mom is a, is a brave woman and she has courage, but she also has a lot of love for you. So that is very yes. obvious. Yeah. Cause not everybody would want to throw themselves into an uncomfortable situation like that. And, you know, eating different foods and drinking juices and being in Mexico. Um, but I just love that she, she did that for you. And then was your family back home setting everything up for when you returned or did you already have it set up? I had ordered the juicer. Um, so I got one of the Norwalk juices, which they are very expensive. But to be honest, when you're doing 13 juices a day, it was, I had bought one, spent about $700 on one here in Australia. And the time to clean it and make the juice, 
you know, I appreciate not everyone can afford to buy the Norwalks, so you do the best you can with um, the advice you're given. But I did order the Norwalks, so I had that ready waiting for me when yeah. I got home. Um, my husband got water tanks installed so that I could shower without, because we have fluoridated water, um, and as we know, there's no filter that'll get rid of that. So he installed two water tanks and had that hooked up to a downstairs bathroom. So that bathroom was now mine and I could shower in rainwater. And he got a distiller um, installed as well, an automatic water distiller. So I had the right water to be able to use. So yeah, when I got back, I was, you know, ready to go. I researched when I was in Mexico and got in contact with someone who um, delivered organic produce. So the day I was coming home, I had all my fruit and veggies uh, delivered to the house. Yeah, incredible. So when I got back, I was just ready to go, yeah. And that's exactly what you need to do when you go to Mexico. You're there to rest and to heal and to go for your lab work and have the doctors yeah. monitor you. But you're also meant to read the literature, understand <clears throat> what it is that you're doing, but also have everything set up at home. Um, yeah. for when you get back, because you don't want to miss a day when you get home, you need to just dive right back into it. Yeah. So, so here you are, you stayed for three weeks in Mexico, you must have met some incredible people down there, some of the guests that oh, were staying. Yeah, definitely made a lot of, you know, and set very sadly, you know, some of those have passed on, but yeah, yeah. friends for life. Yeah. To go through that experience together was incredible. And then when we got back, the every day you'd wake up and check your emails. Um, things were a lot easier now. You got Messenger and it's instantaneous or Zoom and everything. But we were emailing even only eight years ago. We just emailed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And every day, you know, you'd wake up. The first thing I do is check my emails and see how this one's going and compare stories. So yeah, it was a great support. Yeah. No, that is amazing. I've heard that over and over again. How much people like the camaraderie that you know yeah. happens down there for sure. And so when how did you get home on the flight? Because that's a long flight. Did you? Oh, the headache. Yeah, the headache was terrible because <laughs> um, we had to leave the clinic at about 10 in the morning and my flight from San Diego wasn't till about four in the afternoon. So they did a couple of thermoses up of um, juice for me and some baked potatoes and that because I couldn't eat anything on the plane and a few sandwiches that <laughs> ended up a bit dried out by the time I ate them, but they were fine. But the headache, probably after about 10 hours, just got worse and worse and worse because I wasn't able to do the coffee enemas to detox. Yeah. And my mum, who was 75 at the time, said, oh, we should have bought some coffee. You could have done it in the bathroom, you know, on the plane. So it's kind of funny that four weeks prior, no one even knows what they're about. And then my mum's going, we really need to get you a coffee enema, you know? So That's when amazing. I got home, that was the first thing I did. I think I had the kids, my daughter boil it up before I got back. And I said, before we do anything, I had to go upstairs and do back to backs and the, co and the headache went away. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's the part that I think people really take for granted about the Gerson therapy is that they don't mind doing the food. They don't mind drinking the juices. They'll even take the supplements, even the people who don't like popping pills. But the coffee enema sometimes can be the hardest thing for people to wrap their head around. But it's yeah. the most important. Yes. Like when you start drinking those juices and eating the food, your body does go into mass detoxification. Yeah. And a lot of people think like, oh, I did a cleanse last week. I'm healthy. So it won't like I could 
do it and I don't need to do the coffee enemas, but it doesn't work that way because you're detoxifying for months and months and months. Um, cause it's a cellular detoxification that you're going through. And Catherine Alexander and I just, she was discussing this as well, just how important the coffee enemas are. So when you do get a bit of a headache, it's often a sign that your liver's not working, your kidneys aren't yes. doing their job. And so you do need to detoxify. And that's if you have cancer or don't have cancer, if you have a disease or don't have a disease in just everyday life, we have these signals that our body is backing up and it's time yeah. to clean house and we need to do the coffee enemas. So I love that your daughter boiled up the coffee enema and had it ready for you. And then you came home and while you were there in Mexico though, so what, what was the doctor saying about your um, prognosis at that point, the doctor in Mexico? Oh, he just felt positive. He knew that I was one that walked into the office and if he said to do it, I would do it. And I said to him, I promise you, I'm going to get better and I'm going to come back and visit you one day. And he said, I know you will. And um, I did go back to the clinic several years later. I think it was 2016, I think it was. I went back to the clinic and I flew back to see some of my friends who had done Gerson. And I flew down to um, San Diego and got the driver to come and pick me up. And I actually went and spent the day at the clinic with Dr. Cervantes and spoke to all the patients there. That is so amazing. That was, yeah. Wow, that is amazing. Um, that is also a very good goal to set too, that I'm going to get better yeah. and I'm going to come back yeah. and see you. So yeah. That, yeah. that's some motivation right there. Yeah. And um, I love the story just about your mom saying, you know, we could have done a coffee enema in the bathroom, like either yeah, at the airport or on the plane. But uh, did you ever read the book Silent Enemy by, uh, what is her name? Faye Houston? No, I haven't read that. Oh, so it's a beautiful book about a woman who she starts to become super allergic to everything and very hypersensitive to everything. Very, very, very sick to the point of having to tape off her windows and, um, you know, can't be exposed to anything. And of course, someone at the very beginning says, do the Gerson therapy. And she doesn't do it. Instead, she looks at every other therapy on the planet and literally does them all. And I don't know if it's one or two years later. I mean, she's so sick now. And she comes full circle because she remembers someone saying, do the Gerson therapy, does yeah. the Gerson therapy and heals. But it's about her story of having to fly to the clinic, yeah. learn about the Gerson therapy, do it. But then flying home, she actually does a coffee enema in the plane. Oh, wow. <laughs> So I think she, if, I think if I'd had the solution with me, I would have done it. But oh, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I'm sure you would have as well because when you have, a, I've had one of those headaches yeah, before for sure. Yeah. While I've done the, done the therapy, and I know what they're like. Um, and so then you go home, and then how long did you continue with the therapy for? I was strict for the two years. Mm -hmm. Never cheated, and I think that's one really big thing. Um. One thing I really noticed at the clinic, going back to that, was when we left the clinic, I said to mum, I don't, there were certain people I didn't feel would survive because when we were there, you could tell they didn't want to eat the food. They would complain about every supplement. And, um, yeah, so when I got home, I went, I'm doing this strictly for two years. Whatever Dr. Cervantes tells me to do, I did five coffee enemas a day. I think it was for about eight months. Then he cut me to four and, you know, gradually down. I did not miss the castor oil treatment. Um, 
even with food, I think the second Christmas, so 18 months later, he said, oh, you could have a little bit of, you know, have a little bit of a treat at Christmas time. My treat was a bit of avocado. Like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I'm like, I've been doing this for 18 months now. I'm not going to jeopardise it. So I was very, very strict for two years, did everything I was supposed to. Yeah. Um, and then it just really cut down. I still juice six times a day now, eight years after my diagnosis. Wow. Just because you know that the nutrients are there yeah. supporting yeah. your body and yeah. yeah. And you obviously love it too. And I don't ever want to go back to being sick again. Yeah. You know, I'd rather do this for prevention and I know you're not supposed to live with fear, but I think when you've been through something I've been through, it is always there. You know, you know what you've been through, you know what you had to do to get better. You know what that feeling is like when you sit across from the doctor and they tell you you're dying. So if me still juicing and doing coffee a day and eating, following a vegan diet, I've added more foods to my diet now than I'm allowed, but pretty much everything I have is organic. Mm -hmm. Um, I never went back to drinking. I had a glass of wine on my fifth anniversary, an organic glass of wine. I think I had a half a glass. It was, ooh. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I've at times I, I have to be honest, you do miss it. You know, you're having social things or a birthday and everyone's like, oh, you want a champagne or you want this? And I just decline. It's, yeah. you know, and then an hour later you're like, oh, I'm glad I didn't have that glass. And the so, next morning, you're super glad you didn't have that yeah, class. Yeah, super glad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And no, I, um, we interviewed, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Anyway. Oh, uh, Andy Ramage from One Year No Beer. And he's out of the UK, I believe. And he started a movement where just to go, I think it was 30 days of no drinking, which has now turned yeah. into you know, one year programs of no drinking that he teaches people all around the world, um, how to do. And so I had interviewed him and, but I, at the time I had already given up drinking for a couple months. And then after the interview, I was like, I'm done drinking forever. And so it's been well over a year now and it's been the best oh. decision that I ever made. And I was like, in all the time that I've been teaching clients about the Gerson therapy and that alcohol mm. is not a part of it, like, why did I still continue to drink? Mm. And I wasn't a big drinker you know, a glass of wine here and a glass of wine there, but it still didn't make sense to me why I was doing it because I knew the science behind it was so strong that yeah. it does contribute to increasing your chances of getting cancer. Um, it is terrible for your liver. It is not good for your body. I couldn't find any research to say why alcohol was good. Um, despite many studies that show that resveratrol is good, you know, one ingredient in a grape is good. And so, but it's amazing what happens when you give up the drinking. For me, I also did it because I wanted to realize my human potential and, you know, and so it was nice to do that. And so much has shifted from giving up drinking. Like I really recommend it to all of our listeners. Like you don't have to wait till you get cancer to give up drinking. You can actually do it before and you don't need to have the fear drive you. But about what you said though, about drinking the six juices a day and, you know, having cancer once can definitely light a fire under your butt and we can call it fear. But you also sound like just somebody who is very comfortable with the therapy and that you're just being proactive, you know, uh, with it as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky I'm in, I'm in a position that I can financially afford to buy the organic produce because I know yeah. it does. It's kind of one of those things when people go, what should I do? What juices should I have? And they ask for your advice. But I'm always a little bit cautious too on, you know, over-recommending things until yeah. I find out whether they can actually afford it, you know. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of people out there that struggle to actually, you know, some people would be, what, you still can afford to pay for the six juices, you know, and I still take some of the supplements, not all of them. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right, it is just being proactive. And I actually enjoy eating a vegan diet now. I don't, the rest of the family aren't, so it's cooked for them and then do my meal separately. Mm -hmm. um, but it is what it is. I think what got me through was, you know, there's always, no matter what your story is, there was always someone worse than me. Totally. You yeah. know, and everyone has their own story, whether it be cancer or diabetes or their child's sick or they've gone through a divorce. Everyone has a story. Yeah, no, everyone does. And mine was does. just another one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, not just melanoma. One of the things about skin cancer, I just want to chat a little bit about, and you probably, I mean, I've done lots of research, but I'm certain you've done a lot more because you lived it. But in Canada, especially, they separate the melanoma statistics outside of all the other cancer statistics because melanoma is a serious cancer. Yeah. yeah, it's not just a little tiny mole on your skin and you just, you know, get it burnt off or cut out. It is very serious. And it actually bothers me a little bit. The government separate the statistics out because when you look at the cancer statistics, it can look much better. But then when you add the melanoma statistics in, all of a sudden you realize, you know, just how many people have it and how many people die for it and that yeah. it does, you know, um, affect the outcomes in relationship to chemo surgery, radiation as well. So can you shed a little bit more light on that? Um, just more around some of the, um, did you do a lot of research about skin cancer or? Not, not really, to be honest. I mean, obviously there's the basal cell, the squamous cell and melanoma. Um, the type of melanoma I had was called nodular melanoma, um, which grows deep. That's why it wasn't picked up as early as what it was. My mother-in-law has had melanoma removed from her back half a dozen times but it never seems to um you know it spreads further on the skin so there are all different types of melanoma mm -hmm. um squamous cell can be terminal as well um, there's a gentleman i'm helping at the moment um who lives in sydney and he's got squamous cell and the doctors have said there's nothing he can do for that. So he's actually just starting his journey at the moment, getting everything together to start Gerson therapy. So um, I don't necessarily believe in sunscreen is the answer because of the toxins and the chemicals. Yeah. I think it's just being um, sun smart. Like I, I do get a colour to my skin in summer because I'll get up and I'll walk my dog at seven o'clock in the morning and I'm getting my vitamin D, but I don't let my skin burn anymore. Yeah. I do pop a hat on, I do wear a shirt. So um, definitely take precautions. Um, yeah. You know, I like that, um, what you just said about being sun smart, because I think it's one of the biggest conversation pieces that I hear now is oh, do you wear sunscreen? Should we wear sunscreen? You know, it, well, this one's a healthy sunscreen. Oh, this one doesn't have the bad ingredients. But ultimately, anything that is manufactured, sto like stored in a bottle on a shelf, 
um, you know, it's got to have a shelf life. And so then there's going to be preservatives added to it. There's going to be chemicals added to it. And, um, and I've had, I've fortunate, I always say, fortunately, my daughter was burnt. She poured a cup of hot tea on herself when she was a baby or two years old, she reached up onto the counter. And so she burned herself. So we were in the burn unit and the doctor there, the specialist, you know, he asked me if she wore a lot of sunscreen. And I said, well, actually, no. And I wasn't sure why he was asking me that. And he's like, I'm going to send you some good research on it. And, and he said, you know, it's much better to actually not wear the sunscreen, to be sun smart, exactly like you said, cover yeah. up in the sun, wear a hat, don't let your skin get burnt, but you can let yourself be exposed to the sun. Yes right? Vitamin D is important, especially for vitamin D is so important. So, so, so important. And um, so you can, and Charlotte Gerson said the same thing too, 20 minutes in the sun at the right time of day, you know, you'll have lots of, you know, enough sun exposure, of course, depending on where you are on the planet, if you're closer to the equator versus further away, like we are, Mm -hmm. but you can be sun smart and not have to spend the money on those sunscreens, which we know a lot of them are toxic to the body. So yes. people do have to get, com- but it's, we're breaking down uh, social, it's almost like culture to put sunscreen on, right? And then you, yeah. if you're an environmentalist, you can take it a step further and look at how sunscreen is a, damaging our waterways and our water systems because everybody's wearing yeah. it in the lakes and, and the damage that that caused to the you know, aqua life. And so there's a lot of research people need to do. And, but of course, I'm not going to be the first person to say, don't wear sunscreen because, you know, it is one of those personal choices. Um, Do your kids wear sunscreen and how do they, they do wear sunscreen? So you've gone through this experience. Mums can only do so so much. (laughs) Okay. So I wanted to ask that coming from somebody who's actually been diagnosed, actually went through the Gerson therapy, is fully healed. It's been seven years and your kids still just have to figure it out on their own and do their own thing. Yeah. Even with diet, I mean, the kids definitely eat better than they used to. Do they eat the way I want them to? Probably not, but they're adults so they have to make their own decisions um i do spend the money and buy the certified organic sunscreens so hopefully they are less toxic than the normal ones that you do buy yeah i mean and it's true we have to do the best that we can and they're their own people so they're gonna have to you know i'm sure that if your mom had said something to you about do this and do that to prevent skin cancer i mean I'm sure she was saying so many things over the decades before you were diagnosed yeah. as well. And we just, we yeah. do have to walk our own path. Um, yeah. uh, that's good advice. And if you do have to get things for your kids, please do make sure that they're certified organic if you can afford them. So do you have a lot of people coming to you then asking you for advice? And have you been, um, because I'm sure people have asked about your journey or they hear about yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I did a talk at my, my sister's a high school teacher and I did a talk at her school to the year sevens, um, which are like 12 years old. Uh, mm. A number of years ago, I did a speech up there, which was really good. And I did contact a number of schools and said, you know, I'm here to offer some advice, not, you know, I wasn't going to yeah. go in there and blast anything about Gerson therapy because it's a little bit too much for high school yeah. students. But more talk about the choices we make, the will to live, um, 
you know, I learned so much about the way people treat each other. Like when I was sick, the way I was treated by a lot of people wasn't very nice and I lost friends. So it was more a general thing of what I've learned over the years and how to, you know, how to, how to live our lives better. But no one was interested, like none of the schools. It was probably a bit too controversial. Um, but definitely if anyone ever wants to contact me, I'm more than happy to help them through it I'm not running it as a business I'm just doing it because I'm in the position that I've done it so um, I've got quite a few friends over in on the east coast um, two with melanoma one with breast cancer one with squamous cell cancer and we're messaging all the time you know and it comes a time that you don't hit speak to each other as much but I'm more than happy to be there at the start for them and um, offer them whatever guidance or help I can. I actually set up a Gerson therapy because there's the main Gerson therapy support group run by Kathleen Blake, mm. which is amazing. But I set up a Gerson therapy Australia uh, Australia Facebook group, um, really just to help people that live in Australia find where they can get their supplements and their juicer and just to talk amongst ourselves to help each other out. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing that you're doing that because it is a hard place to navigate because it's so brand new. And so to have somebody that you can ask questions to, um, the advice I usually, you know, suggest to people too, is when they're reaching out to somebody who's been healed via the Gerson therapy or anything else is to, you know, really make sure you're, you've read through things and then, you know, use the people as resources like yourself, but for the questions that are not necessarily in the literature as well, because, there's so much literature out there. I mean, there's Charlotte Gerson's book. There's several books that have been written about the Gerson therapy. And so um, there's the websites. There's so many resources um, where it is that you want to definitely not wear people out by asking them the basic questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you want to be able to dive in with all the information that um, is readily available. So now that... Um, you've been healed and um, exercises back in your life because they do cut out the doctors recommend, you know, minimize the exercise because you want to save the energy for regeneration and healing, but you exercise now again. Yes. I walk every day. I walk my dog. I've got an eight month old puppy at the moment. So she's keeping me busy. Um, I go to the gym two or three days a week and do weights because that's really important um, as we get older, obviously for our bones and I run when I can. My favourite thing is to go running, but sometimes the knees don't allow me to do that as often as I'd like these days. But yeah, I'm yeah. definitely out, out living life. Like I still do what I do, but it doesn't interfere with my life. If I make juice, like juicing six times a day, people go, how do you find the time? It's, it's really not that hard. You get up, make a juice. If I'm going out, I'll make two and take one with me. And so it, it doesn't, um, it doesn't control my life anymore. I just do it to fit it into my life. Yeah. And we all have 24 hours in a day. So we all yeah. get to choose how we use that. And we know yeah. the statistics of how many people spend time watching television and, you know, doing lots of other things. Somebody, yeah. when you're really passionate about something and you're passionate about your health, then we always make time and find time for it. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I love that. Um, yeah, that it's not a chore, but it's just, you know, you built it into your life. Um, just speaking about your knees, let's talk about your knees for a while, because, um, I just have to tell you my story about my knees. And I always just thought the same thing, you know, kind of like 
Well, when you get older, that's when disease is set in. I used to believe that, but now I know that's not true, actually. Mm-hmm. When you live a life eating clean, real food and a life free of toxins or minimal toxins, you can live to be 100 or 107 disease-free. The literature has proven that over and over again, yeah. as well as you know, you are living proof that we can also reverse disease and be preventative and stay cancer-free as well. But I used to think about the knees that, well, that's just kind of what happens when you get older. And so um, I don't know if you know, but one of the campaigns we just launched is I'll be running and riding 7,000 kilometers across Canada from East Coast, oh, wow. West Coast to East Coast. Uh, starting June 1st next year. So I didn't think I was going to be able to do it because since I learned about the Gerson therapy 12, 13 years ago, I've just been coaching clients, creating programs, teaching, teaching, teaching all from behind my computer or sitting in a chair in my office with my clients. And so I have not been mobile and, you know, not, and I was an athlete prior to having kids. So I went from super active to pretty sedentary lifestyle. And thank God I was eating well because that's probably what saved me. But my knees definitely from sitting all day long were not good. So I thought there's no way I'll ever be able to do this. But I found a personal trainer who just knows the body so well. And she has fully healed my knees entirely. Oh, fantastic. I know. So it's funny that you just said that about your knees because I'm like, oh my gosh, one more thing that we don't necessarily need to buy into and believe that it's yeah. just something that happens when we get older. So after the show's over, I'm definitely going to um, get in contact with my personal trainer. Oh, and that'd since be lovely. You, yeah, and since she go, since you already go to the gym, and I was only going three days a week, but mm-hmm. she had me do um, a series of exercises and then knee rolling with the foam roller. Oh and yeah, I've got one of those. Yeah, my knees are golden. Like, don't creak, don't cringe, don't do anything. They're beautiful. Like, they're like twenty-year-old knees. So wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, looking forward to that. <laughs> exactly, because then you can keep running until you're, you know, a hundred and a hundred and something. Um, yeah, I think it's important sometimes, you know, that and it's interesting to hear you say that because you went through the Gerson therapy, but then in other areas of our lives, we, our mind can say things like, well, just must be because I'm getting older. But, you know, and so I always think that's interesting Mm -hmm. where you have done something which so many people have Mm -hmm. not done and your outcome could have been fundamentally different if you hadn't found the Gerson therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And chosen. I I owe my life 100% to Gerson therapy. Yeah. It's really remarkable what you did that you listened to the calling and that you just went for it and you went for it a hundred percent. What advice would you have for people then who are just embarking or just, let's say not even embarking on the Gerson therapy, let's even take it back that they're just now in the midst of being diagnosed. Um, what advice do you have for them as they're probably take a breath? Like when I was diagnosed, it was everything had to be urgent, everything get to the doctors, get it cut out, get the treatment started. Um, And now you understand, I lived with that knowingly for at least three months, but they had to take it out the next day. You know, if I'd had time to breathe and maybe look at some research um, before I had done all that, I I I know I wouldn't have done interferon had I known. But to be honest, before I was diagnosed, I didn't know anything about natural treatments at all. Like I didn't grow up 
with that in my life, um, all I ever knew was the conventional way was the, the way to go. And then when that wasn't an option for me anymore, that's when I started researching and finding out, okay, people have reverse cancer without conventional treatments. How did they do it? And then everything just opened up and that's when I found out about all the natural treatments. I love that. Take a breath. And it's true because that the minute you get diagnosed, it's like there's a train coming through the station and you better yeah. get on right now. That's how they make you feel, um, you know, the medical team and you start to get phone calls. And like you said, mm -hmm. it's, you know, appointment after appointment. And yeah, mm -hmm. I've had stories of people with melanoma where they thought in they were just going in to get a small, tiny mole removed. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they have like a mass removed out of their leg. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, okay, and off you go now. But there's not really a lot of follow-up. You know, you're kind of just standing yeah. there with a hole in your leg, don't know what to do. Well, that's really what happened with me. I mean, they cut that out and I was sent home and it was, okay, so it's bad. But there was no no plan after that. So. Wow. And how's your mum doing now? Oh, she's she, great. She's 82. Yeah. yeah. She's, oh. yeah, she's doing really well. Mum and dad are both really good, really fit for 82. So oh, I go amazing. and see them once, go and see them once a week. So it, it definitely changed um, our relationship. Like I'm so much closer to my mum and dad. I'm not saying I wasn't close growing up. I had a great life, but um, I don't know. It just bonded us even that much oh, yeah. more, you know, and to see my dad in tears over what I was going through, you know, it's yeah. just, it was hard, yeah. you know, and I, I can only imagine how hard it was for them because yeah. I, I still believe the worst thing in the world would be to lose a child, no matter how old they are, you know? So for mm -hmm. me, even though I was 46 when I was diagnosed, I was still their baby, you know? Yeah. You were 46 when you were diagnosed and you yeah. literally look like you're 30 years old right now. <laughs> Thanks. I'm 54. I'm 54. I'm 55 in October. Wow. You look stunning. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and is your mum following the diet? You know what? My mum and dad over the years, they have always eaten healthy. They're not vegan or um, vegetarian, but I'm, I remember growing up them doing the Pritikin diet. And then they did a diet where for a week they'd eat two to two days that have apples and then they'd have two days of cheese. They followed all funny little diets growing Cute. up. And I used to just think, oh, whatever. <clears throat> and wake up to my mum doing Tai Chi in the lounge room. And um, I think the latest one they're doing was they were doing the uh, two and five, the fasting. So, oh, okay. but they've, oh, all, wow. they've always looked, yeah, they've always looked after themselves. They get up, they've got a rowing machine out the back of their house and they get up and still do a hundred rows every morning. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. That is beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I can just picture yeah. them actually doing that. Yeah. That's a beautiful yeah, yeah. sight. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember my parents too growing up doing, you know, it was a cabbage soup diet and then it was something yeah. else. Now yeah. it seems like some of these diets that were a little bit sketchy, like people are doing the keto as yeah. well, which um, especially if people are doing, you know, an animal-based fat keto you know, that really worries me, but now it's being brought into the cancer world and, you know, research that's barely been done, you know, very small groups of people are convincing people that it's the way to go. And um, right. yeah. And at the end of the day, maybe losing sight that, you know, we are nature, we are connected to nature and the world is abundantly full of 
fruits and vegetables and, you know, all of these wonderful things around us that, you know, are in alignment with Gerson. And, you know, I just hope people don't lose sight of the fact that we really are, you know, we are nature and a reflection of nature. So that was one question. Yeah. That was one question. A lot of people ask me, where do you get your protein from? And, and I said, well, from vegetables, you know, and they say, how do you know? I said, well, I feel fine and I get my blood work done every month for the clinic and my blood work's perfect. So yeah, I knew that what I was doing was working for me. Yeah, that is the number one question everybody asks us. We have yeah. restaurants and people come in and often these big guys who look like they, you know, they're, we call them bros from the gym that'll yeah. come in. And the first question they say is, where's the protein? And and yeah, and it literally is in all the fruits and vegetables. And yeah. if you eat grains and beans and legumes and everything, it's, I mean, yeah. it's chocked full of it. It's a building block of life. So yeah, yeah, people don't need to worry about that. You get definitely more than enough while you're doing that. And now moving forward, do you have any hopes and dreams and goals for the next little while? What I really want to do is just help people. That's sort of what I've put out there to the universe. Since I was diagnosed, I mean, I meditate now, which was never a part of my life. I think you kind of re-do an overhaul of everything you were doing. And meditation for me really... um, that's what I'm even before I started Gerson when I was first diagnosed that was what got me through the hardest days Mm. was putting a tape in laying down and just listening to the meditation to get rid of the anxiety and the depression because they're all feelings that everybody goes through and unfortunately because you're going through what you are you're hiding that from everyone because you don't want to upset everyone you, d- you hide the fact that you are suffering from anxiety and you're suffering from depression and, and you walk down the stairs and you good morning, everybody, but inside you, you know, so I, I really just want to help people, you know, that, that is my biggest thing, you know, to get up on stage and um, just help people with what they're going through. You know, if anyone messages me, I am more than happy, more than happy to help them. That's incredible. That is really That's beautiful. all I really want to do is just be here to watch my children grow and become a, you know, grandmother one day, I guess. But yeah. My kids have told me that's quite a way away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just love life. Live life. No, that's beautiful. And I mean, everyone that I follow and look up to, they say being of service is the greatest thing you can do on the yeah. planet. It's the healthiest thing for ourselves but obviously it helps other people as well. So I had two thoughts for you while you've been, you know, telling your stories. Number one, I don't know if you like to write, but it would be amazing if you wrote your story. I have written about a hundred pages already. Oh, good. Okay. Perfect. Okay. If you need a publisher, please let me know. I have an amazing publisher for you who would publish your story. I'm sure. And then two is it would be incredible for you to do, either like a Pachamama talk or a Ted talk or something like that. You have a really beautiful story that if you pitched it to them or even a TEDx talk, because there's TEDx all over Australia and different cities. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. You have a wonderful, wonderful story to share with people and just to help more people and to get it out there. And, and obviously, you know, you could always pitch your story to other podcasters as well and just be interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. Because storytelling is a beautiful thing that helps people get connected more to what it is they're searching for. And, you know, you've lived the entire experience from beginning 
yeah, beginning to end and your journey still continues. So yeah, lots yeah. of good insight there. I want to thank you so much for being on our show. You have oh, shared. Thank you for having me. Yeah, such invaluable information for people. And we're going to put your contact information in the show notes sure. in case people yeah. want to get in touch with you. Amazing. And so um, anything else you want to leave with people, with our guests before we go? Uh, not really. I mean, obviously, I'm very much appreciating that you wanted to talk to me about this today because, as I said, the thing that I really want to do is help people get better and I decided a long time ago I would never push anyone into anything because people have to make that decision for themselves but if by sharing my story with them or like when I started the Gerson group guiding people to other people that might be able to help them or letting them know exactly what I did or um, what meditations I, I like or um, people they can speak to because I don't always have the answers but I might know someone that does have the answers. So, you know, yeah, definitely get in contact with me. I'm more than happy to share my story or um, I think it's just really sad when I see people that are suffering and they haven't, they don't know anything about natural treatments and the doctors just tell them it has to be conventional on them. What that, that, what I have done doesn't work, but clearly it does. Yeah. No, exactly. It's important to listen to these one-off stories and not just write them off because there's so much we can learn from understanding what you went through, questioning, you know, well, what is it about juices or what is it about a yeah. restricted protein? You still get tons of protein, but a restricted protein diet or why no yeah. salt or, you know, what supplements, you know, were you taking? These are all just asking questions doesn't hurt. And so yes. people need to get comfortable asking questions and then that'll just take you further down the path until, yeah. you know, you have enough information on both sides that you can make an informed decision versus, you know, just writing something off from the, from the get go. So, yeah. And if you, you really don't feel um, comfortable with, with the doctor that you're with, like the oncologist that I was with um, really wasn't a very nice man. And um at, at the last scan that I did, which was only six months after I came back from Mexico. So I haven't seen him since 2013. I was going through a lot with some other family stuff and I was suffering terribly with the anxiety and depression. You know what it's like with Gerson, the healing reactions. So my husband went in to get the results and he yelled at him and told him that he shouldn't be there. It wasn't his cancer to deal with. Go home and he would ring me. And when he rang, he really belittled me on the phone. And his last sentence was, oh, and by the way, there's no sign of cancer in your scan and I'll see you in three months. I never went back. So if people feel like that, if they feel intimidated and they don't feel comfortable with their doctor, find someone new. Yeah, that is a very, very good piece of advice. And people can do that in most countries around the world you know, because this podcast is listened to from people in, I think, 87 yeah. different countries. We know that yeah. the medical system is going to be a little bit different wherever you are. But at the end of the day, when somebody is treating you poorly, you don't have to put up with it. And you can complain, you can go to someone else, you can yeah. tell them that you want a second opinion, you know, switch hospitals, switch clinics, you know, if you have to drive out of your way, then, you know, do whatever it takes to get somebody who's going to be on your side. Yeah, because it definitely yeah. can change everything for you, having that support. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, then, I ended up finding a doctor. Um, she's actually an American doctor. And I just 
got on and Googled and found a holistic doctor um, who lived 20 minutes for me. And she knew all about Gerson therapy and was happy to do all my blood work. And I'm like, one door closed, another door open. And I never went back to the oncologist and just um, had her to follow me throughout my whole journey. So I was really lucky. Yeah. And that's important when you're doing Gerson because you do have to go for lab work as well. Yes. And so you want somebody who's going to be willing to do the lab work. And I have had clients whose original doctors said, well, if you're not going to do the conventional treatment, um, or if you're going to switch to this crazy diet of eating romaine lettuce and potatoes and a hundred other hundred thousand other potential vegetables and, and fruits that you can eat, well, then I'm not going to support you. And so you do need to find somebody that, you know, you just have to put your chin up. That person's going to yep. dump you because you're not going to do what they want. But if you're in your heart, you know that it's the right thing to do yep. and your gut's telling you it's right. Yep. Somebody else will be around the corner who supports yep. you. Exactly. And doctors can't always um, come out right away and say, oh, by the way, I support the Gerson therapy because yeah. they don't want to be considered um, as stepping outside of their professional boundaries. But I just did an interview with a doctor the other day who she said, and by the way, I have to tell you, I did the Gerson therapy when I had cancer 10 years ago. And I was oh, like, well. Wow. Yeah. And so, and I said, do you tell your patients that? And she's like, oh, no, I can't tell them that. But if somebody asks, then she, tells a story. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So sometimes just asking as well until you yeah. find that person who support you. That's a really good piece of advice, yeah. Angela. Yeah. No, yeah. thanks for sharing that. Wonderful. Oh my goodness. That was a good interview. I am so happy that this information is out there in another format for people to learn from you. It has been such a pleasure. Oh, it's been amazing. Thank you. Welcome back to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. It is such a pleasure to have had Angie on our show. I hope that you've learned a lot. She is one courageous woman because she is going against what we know to be true conventionally that when you get diagnosed with cancer, you do chemo, surgery, radiation, um, you might do immunotherapy, you might go for some genetic testing. Um, but you know, for the most part, she did what most other people would have done um, the first time she got diagnosed. But then where the courage comes in is that she recognizes that her cancer has come back she recognizes she didn't feel well the first time she went through all of that treatment and the fact that it didn't work. And so then she says, okay, I'm going to see if there's something else out there. And she discovers something else and she feels, she, if she feels that it resonates in her body, in her mind, that it's the right thing to do. And she gives it a try. Now, death, death is inevitable. It is the one thing that is all will always touch each and every one of us. Nobody, no living life form on the planet is exempt from it. But you can play a part in when that end point is going to hit you. Now, of course, you know, some of us might get hit by a car. You might um, come down with a rare and fatal disease where there is no cure. You, you know, there's a million 
other reasons that could end your life sooner than what you want. But when it comes to chronic lifestyle diseases, which the majority of cancers are lifestyle diseases, the majority of chronic diseases are lifestyle diseases, which means they are caused by the way you live your life, by the choices that you make, by the foods you put in the body, by the chemicals you put on your skin, by the air that you breathe, so where you choose to live, and so on. So you do play an active role in determining how your genes are going to, and your DNA is going to express itself. Now, I know for some of you, you might think like, that's a hell of a lot of responsibility, but it's true, okay? This is one thing that we know is our environment dictates how our genes are expressed when it comes to chronic lifestyle diseases that are not genetic. And that accounts for about 95% of all cancers and all chronic diseases. So that might seem scary to you because all of a sudden this is putting you in the driver's seat of your life. And, you know, for a lot of people who haven't had 13 years under their belt of reading the scientific evidence and hearing all the thousands of anecdotal stories that I have heard that people have been to been able to successfully reverse their diseases using food as medicine and other means and not using conventional treatments or sometimes using both because we're not against conventional treatments. What we're about is using the treatment options that are available to us, which includes nutrition. And sometimes that is the first thing we do. And often I encourage it to be the first thing you do, no matter what you do. But we have a choice when it comes to that. And if you're not looking at your nutrition, if you think you can go through cancer treatment, eating candies and burgers and beer and alcohol and smoking cigarettes still, or um, feeding yourself refined foods, then you are definitely going to reduce your chances of success. So sure, the treatment might work the first time, but what I've seen is consistent patterns where the cancer returns within five years and less, and then you're in the same boat that you were. Back to your treatment, which your oncologist will say is chemo, surgery, and radiation. Again, let's just cut out more. Let's just blast you with more chemo, more radiation, and then let's hope for the best and cross our fingers. And when you get cancer a second time around, then it is a lot harder to treat that cancer. Your outcomes severely go down. Chances of recovery go down. But if you were to be diagnosed today with any type of chronic diseases, and the first thing you turn to is your refrigerator and your kitchen as your medicine, and then while you're eating well, while you're turning to real foods that are nutrient dense, then you start seeking out what are your treatment options. And that's when you can make wise decisions. So you might include chemo, you might include radiation, you might include some medications, you might include surgery. But in a lot of cases, what I've seen with my clients is that they often don't have to because they're able to reverse their disease successfully. Now, of course, in advanced stage cancers, that might you might not have enough time to allow your metabolism to get back to the state where it naturally keeps you free of disease. And that's when you will need conventional treatment to work alongside the nutritional choices that you're making. But if you can start implementing those choices today before you get diagnosed, then you can increase your lifespan. The evidence shows that. When we look at societies around the world that have 
that live a long time. So they live into their hundreds disease-free. And it's not just one person who does it, but it's the entire society that's able to do it. Well, that's when we look at what they're eating and we see that they predominantly live on a plant-based whole food, unrefined food diet. And that is what keeps them strong. They eat in community, they get good sleep, they move their bodies. And they're really, for their entire life, they're living by the prescription of life, which is health, which is wellness, which is clean food, and which is community. And so if you can start doing that today, then you can increase increase your chance of not only living long, but living well, being happy, being having a zest for life, having energy, being uh, free of chronic pain, and who wouldn't want those things? So take a page out of Angie's book, start implementing your foundation of health today. Start building it up now instead of waiting until you get diagnosed with an illness. And if you are diagnosed with an illness, give us a call at The Green Mustache and at Richer Health because we can set you up on a program so that you can start learning how to eat well and live well today. Thanks everyone for being here. Share this podcast with others and stay tuned for the next episode on the Eat Real to Heal show. Bye-bye.